welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, weary travelers. With questing complete and loot aplenty, we reconvene at the headquarters. Welcome to episode 113 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. And this is King Scott. And speaking of adventure, the day this goes live, Scott, I'm excited. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a big old travel day for many a nerd as we're summoned to make a pilgrimage to Philadelphia for the great PAX Unplugged. And you know what? There's a part of us that likes to think that just maybe you're listening while you're in the car and on the way there. Hey, if you Fingers have your seat. <laughs> <laughs> we're usually wearing gray hats with like a highlighter green on them and we kind of stick out like a sore thumb uh, say hi makes our day it really does scott's gonna be with game toppers what do you got scott friday and sunday morning friday and sunday morning uh saturday i'll be off but we got some meetings to meet with some vendors and everything that's gonna be really awesome there playing some games yeah it's just gonna be a great great weekend and I'm going to be with All Play Saturday oh, morning, yeah, the yeah. All Play booth. So uh, look for the highlighter green hat. Come by. Uh, I'd be glad to teach you a game. You know what? It means so much to us when when someone says hi. So thanks in advance to the four <laughs> or five that do. It's so cool whenever I'm working at the Game Topper booth and someone says hi that they know us from the podcast, not just from standing at the booth. That really, uh, truly, 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 I cannot say. And I think I speak for Patrick as well, how much that really means to us. And it, it truly does. Yeah, good good call. What do we got on the docket today, Scott? Well, today's episode, we're going to do something we haven't done for a long time. And that's focus on two-player games only, including the 8-bit breakdown of Sky Team. Sky Team, Sky Team. I know, I know. It feels like a, a like a '90s cartoon <laughs> or something. And when all is said and done, we're talking PAX 2023 and what's got us all kinds of fired up. Oh, and there's a bit. We'll do a few games each, maybe an event or something. Yeah. Oh, dude, looking for Scott. This is gonna be a good episode. I'm amped for this. I'm pumped. Let's start it right here. We normally like to throw in a bunch of Kickstarters. I gave you leeway. You can point uh, the one out that uh, caught your eye. But normally we like to. This is our shtick. We want to like find one or two that we can point out. Say, hey, you know what? I really like like something about backing. Yeah. Machines to the Sky, uh, Undergrove, Nocturne, Rings of Kit. There are too many that pique my interest right now. Mm -hmm. And if I was going to buy them all, I would be broke. If I was going to point them all out on the show, we'd end up with an entire show filled up with Kickstarter previews. Uh, You know, it sounds like maybe a decent discussion topic for another day. How we we restrain ourselves from buying too many games or kickstarting too many. That sounds good. Or maybe how we decide on what we do back when there's so many options. It's funny. I saw somebody had on Facebook. Facebook, they're like, how do you guys, you know, make your decision on what you're going to back? How how do you hold back from backing all these things? And I, I actually responded, I was like, my secret strategy, don't be able to afford it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where you really got to take a look at it and think, is it going to, let's go Marie Kondo. Will it bring me joy? They'll and that's the big joy. thing there. They will all spark joy. To me, but but you know what? Sometimes you got to look at it and say, you know what else sparks joy is 120 bucks mm-hmm. paying true, the electric true, true. bill, <laughs> <laughs> having heat in the winter time that sparks a lot of joy. Yeah, well, even though we aren't going to talk about them, there is one I do want to bring up. Go here ahead. Real yeah. quick. What, what'd you find? 
Okay, so when we first started doing this podcast, you brought out this game that, how can I explain it? It looked like something that was delivered from the underworld. Mm, I I mean, it was just dire and gloomy, and that was Eschaton. And once we got Eschaton out and we played it, we found out that even though it deals with cultists and inquisitors and all sorts of nasty things, it was a delightful game. Eschaton is coming out with Iconoclasm, and it's changing this battlefield into a co-op game. Okay. So this okay. should be interesting. I understand there. Uh, I'm looking over the page, and you had that expansion with the Inquisitors, the white cubes and the white pieces, and they would kind of play as an NPC. They could start to scatter yes. on the board and like, uh-oh, you know, they, they might influence somebody. They might ruin your day, or, you know, you might want to beat these guys back. But now it looks like they're turning them into a co-op faction, a specific like, okay, they're going to become very powerful. When when we played with the Inquisitors in the expansion, sometimes you'd flip over, we'll say those 12 event cards, and maybe two of them did something with the Inquisitors, and it mm-hmm. just they, they were barely a hiccup on the board. You could rig the deck and say, you know, we're going to pick uh, eight cards from that Inquisitor deck. We're going to make them really uh, oppressive against the players, which was cool. Now it sounds like they're making it so that the players all truly have to work together. I'm just looking at this page here, and they have the best title for a card right here. Okay. Rancorious Acquisition. (laughs) I need to use Rancorious (laughs) or Rancorous. I'm not sure how to exactly pronounce it. I'm thinking it's Rancorous. I need to use that sentences more often. That sounds like something we try to avoid on Kickstarter is Rancorous Acquisition. I see what you did there. Kudos to Archon Games for having a game with cultists that has nothing to do with Cthulhu. Yes, yes, yes. That's an easy thing to do, but they took the hard road and really came out (laughs) with a game that was really, really great. All right, board game adjacent. My buddy Jeremy, he turned 40. We were over at his house and, uh, you know, it was was a collection of people that aren't like – tabletop gamers but they all love their video games and i show up and they're playing this game that was kind of like a smash brothers but like you die once and you're dead and it was like 16-bit style this thing is called duck game all right (laughs) so scott what'll happen is we had four players so four of us have a controller and the level's going to materialize and it's just a bunch of platforms and like random weapons and i mean random weapons Uh, sometimes you pick them up you got to figure out how they work to actually be able to utilize them well once you're hit or once you die, you die. That That's it. You're oh. done on that level. And it's like, who's the last man standing, right? Okay. When that person wins that level, it the screen just kind of like goes away and then you know, pixelates away. And then a new level materializes and you go again. And it just keeps hitting you level after level until somebody wins 10. This game's okay. fun. Dude, it was – we were <laughs> laughing. There's some about like you get a duck with it like <laughs> – I have a duck who's wearing a sombrero, picking up a machete and like chasing people around with, with like a samurai sword. And I'm just, because sw- you know, I'm mashing buttons. He swat, 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 and fall off the edge of the map. Go figure. You can pick each other up and toss each other off the map. Dude, we were having a blast with this. I took over, uh, I took over Crokinole. We didn't even get to break it out. We were just playing oh duck gosh. game. Oh, fun, fun, fun. I had to point that out because I want adventurers to know there's a, there's a game. I think he had it on Xbox or Steam or something called Duck Game. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Check that out then. I like it. Now, what's the name of it again? Duck Game. That's it. All right. So that's uh, Duck Game. Yes. Yes. Jot it down, commit it to memory. (laughs) Well, on the other hand, I got to dip my toes into 
playing a legacy game. That's right. The first one. This is the first go. This is your first yes. go around with a legacy. Okay, so now we can't spoil things, but what'd you play? What I know well, what you played because well, I played you know, it with you. you. Tell the adventure. You played with me. Yeah, it was Ticket to Ride Legacy, Legends of the West. Mm -hmm. And, oh, man, it comes in this big box. You open it up, and you only have part of the United States. That's it. You don't have Florida yet. You don't have anything out in the West. You just have, like, the Northeast and some of Central. Georgia, maybe? Yeah, I think Georgia's the lowest it goes. There's a little bit of Florida teasing you, saying, I'm coming soon. (laughs) But it's not there. The big baron behind the trains has passed away, and now then the other companies have to pick up and make it go. You're starting out with somewhat different rules from your typical Ticket to Ride game. It's uh, very still, close. Yeah, it's, they, it's they throw not in enough the, to... The event deck is the variable, right? Yes, it's not enough to really throw things off or anything. You can still play this easily and pick it up like, oh, okay, I understand, and you're into playing it. I mean, they really make it scary, like... If even if you're a seasoned Ticket to Ride player, you better read all the rules. Um, okay, I'll spoil it a little bit. It's kind of the same, and they walk you through things very, very well. Each person has their own little box for their company. You have a vault that you have to keep your bank slips in. After every game, put it in there, keeping track of everything that goes on in the games. And there might be little things that you put in the front of the of your box there for the company that will come out in future games. So we got through two of them. And mm-hmm. yeah, I I mean, I was going to say, hey, let's play Thursday. Well, you have this little thing with Thanksgiving coming up. Then we have PAX Unplugged, which we're on our way to right now. Then it's finally three weeks later, and it's like, let's get to this game. I'm very excited to see where this goes. There's, I think, 10 different expansions in there with the Badlands and Haunted Villages and all sorts of things inside. Well, you mean 10 different chapters that we're going to be uh, going through, Yes, right? yes. Not, not an expansion per se, but like the next game, the next variable. Right, right. Okay, and it's got it, just got it. really, really looks interesting and exciting. I'm so totally looking forward to see where this goes. It's going to be awesome. I could tell as we were playing the first game or two. Now, we, again, we can't spoil anything. What well, maybe we'll maybe we'll throw this into Adventures on the Horizon. Maybe we just won't much talk about it until say like February when we're finished and we can do a whole yes, review. But yes. I could tell from the look on your face that this was an experience that. It sparked joy for you. <laughs> it sparked joy like paying the electric bill in wintertime. I could see that twinkle in your eye like, ooh, like the first time you give a, a, a kid icing or something. <laughs> you were, oh, it, it was magical. It was magical. The thing about it is Ticket to Ride is such a good game to begin with. And I've played that mm-hmm. any number of times online, in person, everything. Seeing this and not knowing where the game's going to go, that mystery, it's such a great feeling because you play it so many times and you're just like, okay, we got to the, the last one or two trains. Last round, everyone gets a turn. Let's count up the points. Uh, down there, you're going last one or two trains. All right, count up your points and see where it goes. Oh, my God, I did better than last time. I wonder what the next box is. Let's open the next box. Oh, I don't have time. Oh, you suck. It sparked joy. It definitely did. Legacy games give you that element of discovery, that like part of 
opening like like part of the one of the things that I love about buying a new board game is when you crack the plastic off and you open it up and and you get that you get hit with that smell and you start like thumbing through all the bits and seeing all the things that that the game has in store right. for you. You know what I mean? Like you pick up a deck and you're like, "Wow, that's a big deck of cards. Things are going to happen with this. Oh, look at those meeples. Look how neat they look. You know, these yeah. ones are different. I wonder what they're going to be." And a legacy game has the opportunity to repeatedly give you that dopamine hit and Oh, I can't wait to see how this keeps going. And, and I want to like pick your brain at the end of it of, you know, okay, Scott, what's your analysis of, of legacy, the concept, and just have an episode of it. You know what? That's what we'll do. Maybe we'll just hold off on thoughts as we go along and instead we'll just save it. We're going to force Tom and Lena to like play this twice in December and once early January so we can get it done. There's only, you said it's 10 games. Boring. Sometimes they surprise you with, uh oh, there's an, like maybe it's not all on the list. I don't know. We don't know. But, man, yeah, we're going to try yeah. and hammer this thing out so we can give it an 8-bit breakdown ASAP. That sounds good to me. I, I'm looking at our uh, page here, and uh, I'm hoping this is like an early April Fool's joke. Nope. 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 This is real. It, it's happening? Uh, why okay. not? Okay. You know, there's Let enough, it go. <laughs> there's enough crappy cartoons. What's what's the Bojack? Since Bojack Horseman could be a thing, I feel like Exploding Kittens, the TV show, is allowed. They have trailers, uh, uh, teaser trailers out, and you can find them on YouTube. Netflix is going to have an Exploding Kittens TV show. Uh, oh. There's voices, most notably, I noticed Tom Ellis and Lucy Liu, but I don't know much about voice actors, so I don't know if those are big names or not, but Exploding Kittens getting a TV show. You don't show. know who Lucy Liu is? No, no, I know that name. I'm just saying, like, of the other actors and actresses oh, that are oh, doing oh, the oh, voices, oh. there might have been some really big names in there, but I just don't know that, like, I don't know celebrity names well enough. Like, if I saw their face, I'd be like, oh, yeah, they were an XYZ movie. But to see their name, I'd be like, I don't know who that is. Not like, oh, that's uh, obviously, one of my like worst Tom things Cruise, whenever we Brad watch... Pitt. I know who they are. That's one of the worst things whenever I watch something animated. First thing I do is IMDb. All right, let's see who's what. That's who that is. And I'm always looking through trying to figure out who they are. Chrissy does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, before we kick off two-player games with recent plays, one last thing and a little update for the adventures. And I, you know what? I tease this a little bit. Uh, I think it was with Josh a couple episodes ago. I think as we move forward, this being our final episode of season three, moving into season four, we'll talk updates and whatnot next episode, but I do think we're going to try and incorporate value a little mm. bit into the 8-bit breakdown. We're not going to make it one of the bits, but we've, uh, you know, and so far three years running, we've always said, well, it's objective. You know, if you have a million dollars, none of these games are expensive to you. Uh, that's great and all, but most people don't have a million dollars. Uh, fact is, we're going to evaluate what someone's going to potentially purchase. Therefore, it makes sense that we at least touch on value a little bit. Like, there's games that cost 50 bucks, and you get a ton of meeples, you get an expansion or some modules in the game, and then there's $50 games that are basically card games. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we're going to start pointing that out a little bit more. And sometimes it makes it, well, the card game was produced in a country that that pays higher wages or, you know, they had a, a much larger staff. Like maybe we can come up with a reason why, but I think it is worth spending a little bit of time. Maybe if something doesn't strike us as like a great value, maybe we throw it in the downsides. And if it's a if it's a good value, maybe we throw it in bit number eight, the, the whole was it fun, was it for? What do you think? We didn't really want to get into it when we first started. Now we get an idea of what goes into it, how much time goes into it. With all the talking we've had 
great conversations with different designers and everything and all the stuff that goes into it. So I think that is something there that we need to talk about and bring up and really make it important to realize that, yes, there is a value in a game that's coming out. Mm. Well, do you want to kick it off or do you want me to? Why don't you kick it off there, Patrick? All right. Well, you know what? Let's do that. It's it's a two-player episode. We're doing twos. How about we do one just you and me? Okay. <laughs> Scott, let's talk the mirroring of Mary King. Yes, this was something I was really intrigued by whenever I walked in the shop and I saw this uh, big face of a redheaded woman sitting in front of me. And it's like, what exactly? Is this like Barbie makeup the game or something? <laughs> I had no idea what we were doing. Well, we'll get there. Let's start here. This is designed by Jenna Felly. It's produced by Devious Weasel Games, the makers of Cosmic Frog, which is a bit of a hidden gem in the hobby. And it's from 2022. Mary King is a direct descendant of a 17th century Scottish merchant, Burgess? Burgess, Bur- I just got burgers, of the same name. <laughs> While on holiday in Edinburgh, she visits Mary King's, Mary, Mary King's Close. What did I do with the copy paste of the flavor? I don't know. Okay, here, here's what's going on. So there's, there's this girl named Mary King, all right, a present day Mary King. But she's got an ancestor from the 17th century, and her name's also Mary King. And when today's Mary King goes to the, uh, we'll say, the estate of ancestor Mary King, She's walking around and she attracts the spirit of her long dead ancestor. Desperate to live again, the 17th century Mary King attempts to commandeer the body of her descendant. And the two Marys begin their battle for possession. In the end, only one of them will inhabit the body of the living Mary King. And you know what? My money is on Mary King. Well, wasn't Mary (laughs) King that won? I can't remember who won our game. Theme immediately sounds cool here, but as we well know, implementation is key. So what's going on in the game? It's set up. Each player is going to have a deck specific to their character. And the key is that 12 tiles are going to be placed between the two players, depicting an image of Mary. Six tiles show the present day Mary, and six show the spirit Mary. Together, they make up a large image of her face. But it's so cool. Regardless of which side is face up, the image is still clear. It's just that the good Mary tiles are clear and pretty and sunny, while the spirit Mary tiles are like distorted and bluish with kind of like a horror theme. I thought that was really cool. That was really tremendous. I really love the idea that because it lined up impeccably. Mm-hmm. And people everything like, was that in itself was worth the money of seeing this game here. It's an eye catcher too. People walk Yo, out like as yeah. soon as Lana came, she's like, what is this? Uh, well, hey, like I said, whenever I walked in, I looked at it and it's like, uh, what are we doing, Patrick? <laughs> Games can play over five rounds or days, starting with Monday, and each turn you get to play a number of actions, which are typically you're going to be playing cards from your hands. Other actions include drawing cards or sifting through the deck, that sort of thing. And based on what day it is, that's going to determine how many number of actions you get. So Monday, each player gets just one action. Two on Tuesday, all the way up until Friday, where each player is going to get five actions. The goal of the game is to get all of the tiles flipped to the Mary King that you are playing, or... 
if no one does that by the end of the fifth day, it's going to come down to scoring. And how do we do that? At the end of each turn, you're going to lose cards from your deck according to your opponent's largest area of control. That simply means that if they have an area of adjacent tiles showing, like in your case, you were Ghost Mary. If there yes. were four tiles touching that were Ghost Mary, you would mill one card off the top of my deck, which I believe they called it the mind. The discard was the memory, but yes, I would yes. lose a card from my mind. And at the end of the game, if nobody has actually flipped all tiles to their Mary image, it's going to come down to who has more cards left in their mind, among other minor scoring. The last thing to point out is that uh, functioning within a turn, which is primarily spending actions to draw cards from a personal market or playing cards from your hand, uh, the cards, mostly what they're going to do is they depict that grid of 12 tiles. It's three across and it's three columns of four. All right. Mm -hmm. And your cards are going to depict that grid in black and white with some of the tiles in red. So if I flip one and all four of the corners are in red, if I play that card, I'm going to take each of the corner tiles and flip them, whether they're going from good to bad or bad to good. Ideally, if I'm playing good Mary, I want them all to be showing ghost Mary and I get to flip them all back to good. But sometimes it's three and one and you have to make your trade-offs and whatnot. Other cards in your deck they're specific to you and typically they have an asymmetric action like maybe shuffling cards back into your deck or canceling out a, a play that your opponent is is doing. Scott, let me hear some thoughts. So you and I played this together. I will point out uh, they suggest that you sit next to each other. It was kind of nice to be able to sit next to each other <laughs> like a uh, like a teenage date at a restaurant booth as opposed to across the table. They want you to do that so that you're both seeing the board from the same orientation. Never mind that. What'd you think of the mirroring of Mary King? This here really remind me of one of those games, like battery-operated games you get at Walmart or going way back hills, something like that, where you have lights on it and you press a button and then, boop, there's a couple other lights that come on. And then you hit one of those lights that are on and a couple other lights come on, and but the other ones go off. And it's this struggle of trying to get all the lights on or all the lights off. This is the card game version of that because it was just constantly, once I got something worked out where I got flipped over to the ghost side, you had this card that you were just sitting there waiting to play and flip them over to the good person side or the living side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was just that ongoing battle with it where I think by turn three, I'm like, there is no way that I'm going to lose this game. I'm getting so... <laughs> much of the ghost version of Mary King out, pff, this is going to work out great. But then I just saw as it went through to turn four, wait, it's getting harder now and it's getting more difficult. And so it's definitely like a bell curve in the whole thing where you get to that middle and you're like, okay, it's, it's a well done conclusion. One side's going to win or the other. And then it goes to the other side and then it's just anybody's game. You don't know what's going to happen. And it was just, really refreshing it was a fun game mm -hmm. they it wasn't anything difficult to pick up not I mean, at all there may be different terminology on the cards there's the little circle with the flash in it oh that means you do it right away simple little things to pick up on but it was just such an interesting game and such an eye catcher this is something that i think would be great if you go out to a coffee shop or something sit this up it doesn't take that much room. I mean, you get a four top and, yeah, it really doesn't. and start playing it. You're going to have that whole place coming over like, what is this? And it's not difficult. You have five rounds you go through. That's it. Pleasantly, pleasantly surprised with this game. Great components in this one, too. You've got the neoprene mat for your day tracker. You've got all those nice chunky tiles throughout mm -hmm. the middle. Cards are cards. You know, they're not crappy quality. They're not like... 
they're, they're cards. They're, they're fine. Yeah. What I thought was really cool is that for having minimal art, they did a fantastic job of utilizing it well. Devious Weasel, I think, is just Jim Felly. And I'm gathering that uh, that Jenna is his wife. Jenna being the designer of this one. Jim did uh, mm-hmm. Cosmic Frog. I don't know if Jenna's credited on that or not. That's not the point. I think they're a, a small publisher. So I think that they have to be wise with their spending. I don't know if you noticed or not, but the art on the cards, your personal cards, they were all the same image of Mary mm-hmm. King, but they just put slashes in different places and yes. distorted the image slightly. And it each one felt unique, like the living Mary cards felt right and the spirit Mary... Well, I'm sorry, two pieces of art. I guess you've got the image of Mary living currently and, and the, the spirit Mary, which is a, a different face picture depicting roughly the same face, right? They did a great job with that. The components are great. It's a small box game and yeah. you can get it directly from their website for 30 bucks. 30 bucks for this. I'm just looking at on BGG right here. Forget it has that picture, but then lines through the eyes like they they can't seem to remember what happened. And it uh, works. Mirroring has four different things where it's like mirroring the image on two different sides. That really brings the theme into this game of what that card does. Top notch production. I really love this game. Well, that's the mirroring of Mary King. Hi, I'm Sarah McLaughlin. I'm reaching out today with a cry for help. Every day, innocent podcast hosts go hours without being the center of attention. My ego. Your five-star rating on iTunes says that you care. I need to be important. Without your support, these nerds will be neglected, beaten, possibly die. I'm so hungry. Please, open your heart. Give that five-star rating on iTunes, or rate them favorably on whatever platform you listen. Scott, what do you got going on with WizKids? You got stock in this company or something? Uh, I got dirt on people. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Um, no. <laughs> you get free games from WizKids by blackmailing them. Oh, I like your style. No, 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 no. Definitely. They have been really, really supportive towards us, giving us review copies to check out all the new games that are coming out. And so many times people look at WizKids and they just get hung up in clicks games. And that's the main thing. But they're really branching out into other games right now. Mm-hmm. Now, one of them that they sent to us that I was just thrilled about whenever it came was Star Trek Discovery Black Alert. And like we said, it's published by WizKids, designed by Dylan Bertolo and Josh Dirksen. Now, Patrick, does Black Alert mean anything to you? No, you know what? I know so little of the Star Trek universe. I understand they have a holodeck, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg wore a funny hat. Yes. Um, Data's a computer. Riker's the commander. Like, I can identify some of the characters. My dad watched it when I was, li- mm-hmm. like, literally faithfully every night. He was watching Star Trek for, like, an hour. That was his thing. That was his, that was his jam, oh, yeah. right? You know, I was too young at that point to really care. You know, you're 11 and you want to go outside and play. You don't give a crap about Star Trek, or, or I didn't anyway. I could get into it now. I watched uh, I watched Picard the first season. I, I would give the other ones a watch, but I don't have that station. They didn't even call it a station anymore. Whatever the streaming service is. Streamer, well, there yeah. you go. That's how you know that I, I don't watch much TV. So uh, <laughs> I know nothing of Black Alert. Well, to Star Trek fans, 
it means that the new series on Paramount Plus was starting, and this was the announcement of when they were going to use their Spore Drive. And once again, whenever I say that, it gets me just kind of frothing there a little bit, thinking about using the Spore Drive, and you're just thinking, Scott's going off the deep end. Mm -hmm. But anyway... In Black Alert, I'm just going to call it Black Alert right now. Okay. You play members of the Federation crew or the Terran crew. Now, people who watch Star Trek, you know that there is the mirror universe. And always it goes through where, oh, my God, Spock is evil. He has a goatee now. Uh, and that's how you know that he's evil. But it's all these great things that happen whenever they go into the mirror universe. Because you see all the characters you're used to. But... Just that little thing that makes them evil. And it's always so much fun whenever they get those. Now, the time period of this game takes place when the walls of the Mirror Universe is down and the crew of Discovery is trapped in the Mirror Universe and needs to find a way back. Now, in order to win, the Federation crew needs to complete a series of three missions in order for them to return home. On the board, you have a bunch of hexes that go out, so this will change up every time that you go. So you'll have Kronos uh, someplace over here, Earth in a different place, you'll have Vulcan in a different place, all these different planets and systems all over the place. No matter when you play it, it's going to be different every time. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be all these, uh, I'm trying to think what they call it. Oh man, I can't I can't think of the what the spore drive goes through. But they follow this path that goes super fast to different things. So you'll have this path going from planet to planet. So you can go anywhere on the board that you want to. Because you may need to complete a mission on one corner of the board and then get all the way over to the other board. The bridge, the engineering, the ready room. And the best part about this is in the mirror universe, the ready room is the agony room. I love that. That is just so much fun. <laughs> and complete the action that's available to you. As you move your character and your ship, you will be able to collect resources to make your actions even stronger. If at any point the ships overlap each other on the map, you have the ability to attack each other, or even better, beam onto the other ship and start infiltrating and disrupt their actions on their own ship. This is a fun two-player game. It can expand out to four if you want to play teams, but I think it shines at two players. My only caveat with this is that I believe that this will be even better for people who watch the show and are Star Trek fans. Okay. A lot of the descriptions and character interactions may be lost on some people there, unfortunately. I had a great time playing this as I'm of the group that enjoys the show and understands a lot of the techno babble that they use in it. So check out if you want an exciting two-player game that falls into the Star Trek universe. This is really a, a very, very cool game to check out. Star Trek Discovery Black Alert. Now, I noticed that you're saying two-player game, and it looks like this will actually play two to four. Like, it wants to do the teams thing, and it, I'm thinking like, uh, uh, what, War of the Ring, I'm thinking Star Wars Rebellion, uh, yeah, Rebellion they have yeah. a means of playing two to four, but really, they're a two-player game. Now, I see one player's going to play the uh, the ISS Discovery, mm -hmm. uh, whereas one's going to be the ISS Sharon, and it sounds like you're playing teams against each other, controlling your your own ship against the other player. The Shran's trying to capture the Discovery. One-on-one, uh, -on -one, you would say, is, is probably better than a team's game? Yes, you're going to be playing with two different characters, and you're going to be moving that around. And 
I'm sorry. I, I just, personally, I have problems whenever you're playing team game, trying to figure out, talking to each other, like what you're going to do, going to do this, do this, do this. Now, if I'm going to make a mistake, I'm going to make a mistake on my own. Sure. Um, and that's just the thing with this. And I really enjoy this as a two player game. Yeah. You, like you said, you have the discovery against the, I got to figure out, I got to ask the adventurers. I've always thought it was Charon, not the Charon. Oh no, I'm so, just I'm just going with what I uh, maybe that's what they call it in the show. I just I, see the I CH and know. I was I've like heard Charon. There, so, but anyway, you have the uh, the Terran Federation going after you, and they're trying to track you down. It's really cool. It really gets down to the, the, like biting your nails kind of thing. There, it's a <laughs> wonderful game if you enjoy Star Trek. Do you like Discovery? I do, but it's not my favorite one. It seems to me, whenever I look back on the seasons, there's a bunch of scenes I remember, but I can't really put the whole seasons together and remember, oh, this was a great season. Uh, uh, sorry, Strange New Worlds just freaking rocks. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. So, so good. Well, that's Star Trek Discovery Black Alert. So a little bit of the hotness you got going there, Scott. Brand new. That That is brand spanking new. Yes. So thoroughly enjoy it. So okay. I... Huh? Uh, nothing. I was just cutting you off. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Say your thing. Segway me, King. Well, I was just going to segue into, I'm sure you played a two-player game, and I'm very interested in hearing what you played. <laughs> Scott, that was the most generic <laughs> You played a thing, and I want to I'm I'm interested. Thank you. <laughs> Tell you what, I'm going to cheat too, because I've been playing this game two-player, and I was convinced it was a two-player game until I looked it up and found out, nope, it plays multiple players. But it's a fantastic game at two, and that's Forest Shuffle. The designer, Kosh. Yep, just says Kosh. So uh, there's that. Osh, Kosh, Bagosh. This okay. is a 23 game, uh, 2023 game from Lookout Games, and I'm kind of, like I said, breaking the rules. It's technically two to five, but hey, end of the episode it goes. Uh, in pure cheating fashion, I'm going to give the rundown directly from the BGG page. In Forest Shuffle, players compete to gather the most valuable trees, and then they attract species to those trees, thus creating an ecologically balanced habitat for flora and fauna. So to start the game, each player has six cards in hands, with cards depicting either a particular type of tree or two forest dwellers, animals, plants, mushrooms, etc., with these latter cards being divided in half, be it vertically or horizontally. So horizontally, you might have like a bird on the top and a mushroom on the bottom. Or if it's half and half, it might have a bat on the left and it might have a boar on the right. Make sense? Yes, yes. Okay. On a turn, you're either going to draw two cards, whether face down from the deck or face up from the clearing, and add them to your hand. Or you can play a card from your hand by paying its cost and putting it into play. During setup, three winter cards were placed into the bottom third of the deck, a la, like, you remember Ethnos with the dragons yes, that you put yes. in? Okay, so it kind of does that to, oh, surprise, the game just ended. Um, so that clearing where you can draw cards from that, it sort of becomes a market. Cards have a cost on them. So in the top left of this oak tree, it might have mm -hmm. a two in a, a two with a brown background. That means that I have to discard any two cards to the clearing to put the oak tree in play. If I discarded brown cards, because the two is in a brown, I'm going to get the bonus action that's shown on the oak tree. Okay. Okay. What does the oak tree do when it's in play? Yeah, not much. Neither do any of the like nine trees, but they do have scoring potential. One of them says if you have more than any other player, you're going to get 
10 bonus points. One of them says this is worth two points for every type of this tree that you have. This one says uh, you're going to get uh, a bonus five points for every different type of tree that you have in, in your ecosystem. Okay, so that's the trees. But more okay. importantly, the trees are going to house all the little critters that you're putting in there. But Butterflies and birds go on the top of the tree. So if I want to play this bird card, it might have a, a one and it's got a blue background. So I can discard any card, get a little bonus if I discarded a blue. And I take that bird and I actually just slide it underneath my oak tree so that the bird is showing on the top half. And the oh, okay. bird has an ability. He might be – it might be a, a two-point card that's worth five instead if he's played to an oak. Okay? Oh, okay. That's kind of the theme with the cards that you're playing above, below, left, and right. Now, obviously, they're going to do different things. Some of them want to see pairs. Some of them want to see multiples of the same. Some of them say every time you play a different card to the bottom, you know, anytime you play a frog, draw a card. What's going to happen is, and boy, this happens every time, <laughs> every card feels good. It's one of those games where it's like, okay, I'm holding seven <laughs> cards in hand. This one works well with this one, but this one wants me to hold on to that one. Oh, geez, and if I want to play this really good one, I have to discard two. Okay, I'll pick these two. Oh, but they're both butterflies, and if I try and just play them instead, right? It's one of those. It's one of those. There's a myriad of decisions. Most of them are very good, and you just got to suss it out and figure out, okay, what's what's the best way I can go about this according to what the other player has done, assuming you're playing a two-player game like right. Lena and I have. She taught this one to me on, uh, on Board Game Arena, which, Adventurers, if you're looking to give this game a try, that's a way to do it for free. Fire it up on BGA. Give it a try. There is a lot to love about this game. Let's start with the artwork. Now, I'm not going to gush over it, right? It's trees and it's critters. It's nothing that we haven't seen done well before. But it is done well here, and it enhances the game. The act of tucking the cards under, above, or on either side of the tree, that's neat. And each of those areas of placement have a few different things that can be placed there. So it's not always going to be butterflies on the top. Like I said, there's also birds. There's there's foxes. There's boars. There's there's like a, a, this mountain lion thing. There's a squirrel. There's all kinds of things that can get tucked. And all of them gives you a different strategic pursuit. Okay. Uh, whenever you have the option of doing a number of different things to experience them, to me, that's appealing. Finally, like I said, this has that thing in games where sometimes it feels like not only do you have multiple options, but they're all good. And you're rarely going to feel like what you should do on your turn is obvious. You know, it, you're always going to go, oh, what should I do? Did I do the right thing? Mm -hmm. Because you get something good out of it, but it's always like, could I have done better, right? Any given card can be powerful when it's combined with the right stuff. And you mix in that rising tension of not knowing when the final winter card is going to get drawn. And in this one, you draw it, that's it. End game. It's not like, oh, one more round. Like, there's no warning. You drew it. Winter's here. Get to hibernating. There's a lot of good game in this small box, Scott. For a shuffle. You got any questions? That one sounds really very cool. Now, do you like the idea that every card has a good decision to it? Or do you like that little bit of like safety net where, oh, this one isn't good, so I can toss that off? Does that take away from the game or does it make it more enjoyable for you? You know what? It makes it more enjoyable. And, and here's why. Because while at face value, let's say it's turn one and you've got your six cards in hand, you can talk yourself into why each of them can be very powerful. Okay. However, when it's turn 17, turns are quick. You know, right. it's, it's, I'll play a card. Go. 
I'll play a card. You know, I'll draw two cards. Sure, go. sure. So it, it, we'll say that each player is going to get some, I don't know, 25, 30 turns. It's a big number, but it's not a long game. What's going to happen is you're going to hit turn 15. You're going to have three butterflies, and you're really looking to get that fourth one because you get multiplier scoring for having, you know, for each for each additional unique type okay, of butterfly, yeah. right? So now suddenly the values have changed because of what you've played. There's a, oh, I, I forget what they call it, a squeaker. I don't even know what a squeaker is, but there's one card that's like, it's going to get a bonus 10 points if you have a squeaker. I, you know what? I think squeaker, I think of those little toys that you throw at your dog. It's got like a little chipmunk or something on, on the picture. <laughs> somebody tell me, somebody enlighten me. Send us a message on, on I'm sure squeaker is actually a thing, but there's a card that's going to get bonus points if you have a squeaker. Well, we're this far in. I don't have a squeaker. I really want to try and get butterflies, and I've been playing mushrooms to the undersides of my trees, and, and I'm shooting for that. And you know what? I've been playing a lot of that tree that says you need something. Uh, if you get something on top, bottom, left, and right of this tree, we'll give you bonus points. And I have three of those down. So I, you know, I don't see me shooting for a squeaker. So suddenly that card that says you'll get bonus points for the squeaker. Well, you don't care about it. Okay. Okay. You might care that, oh, this card is, this is an orange card and this oak tree gets a bonus if I play it by discarding orange cards specifically. You can discard anything, but if I discard orange, so maybe it's got some value there. It's just multiple places where the value can increase or decrease. Midway through, you're going to have kind of ironed out where you're going with your game. And, And to me, I think that's why having so many good decisions is such a good thing. That sounds very cool. For a shuffle, you said. Yeah, for a shuffle. Maybe we'll fire it up and, and, and I'll, you know, maybe I'll teach you tonight. Okay, that sounds cool. I like that. I definitely like that. Before I let you take the last one, I just got to point out, you taught me first and goal, right? Yes. You, 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 we put off the assessment because I wanted to save it for the show. I said, you know what? I'll talk about it on this show. And you've, you've mentioned first and goal before. Football mm-hmm. game, it tries to emulate football. You got a deck for the offense cards, deck for the defense cards. You've got your little magnetic board, right? Well, a regular board, but it's got magnets in it. So yes. your, your post, your, uh, your yard post, what do they call this? The first down marker, those two yes. orange. Okay, well, we're going to call it the first down post. Those and the little ball, they're all magnetic. We play it us in first and goal. And let me tell you what, that game is fantastic. <laughs> I was worried because I saw that it was like a 2011 game or some time ago. I was, okay, this thing's old. It's going to be kind of dated. Mm-hmm. It's based on American football. And I haven't played any of those that are good. This game was good. This game was fun. It was exhilarating. Yeah, there's dice. Yeah, it's random. You're not necessarily going to be able to sit down and outthink the other person. You know what will give you an edge, though? What's that? If the person that you're teaching the game says, yeah, give me that team that's really good at running the ball. (laughs) And you pick out that team, but you accidentally give them the dice for a team that's good at passing and not running. So Patrick tries to run, 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 and I keep getting one yard minus two yards. Yeah. I want to say it was halftime and we we're at three not you had a field goal or a safety and that was our scoring at half. Safety. Safety. Yeah. That was just like craziness there. <laughs> Classic defensive struggle. Oh but nevertheless, thanks for teaching me that. First and goal, I loved that. That was cool. Excellent two player game. I know. I, I look at it, and I think I might have to get the rest of the teams. I think I've got 20 of the teams, and there's 30 different teams you can get for this. 
30. Dude, that's insane. Yes, and each one of them plays a little bit differently. They have a little bit stronger defense. They'll be weaker in passing. There might be one that's really strong in rushing, but really slow in their defense. So it really meshes up there depending on what you want to do. You could easily play a whole season with everyone and get a league going and play this. It's a fun little game there that I think probably gets overlooked a lot. Now, it's been rebranded as first in roll now instead of first in goal. So it's still out there. They re-released it. You can still find that out there. And I know that was R&R Games. I'm not sure if it's still R&R Games that has it now or not. Well, I know I'm going to borrow your copy because Mike is going to love this. Next time he's got a day off and he wants... Wants to come over here and just do a two-player game day. I can't wait for him to play. It'd be like it'd be like playing Madden on the tabletop. Great game. You got it. Definitely not a question. Now you know what I said before. You get into your next one. I see your your next one. Actually, your only one today was Star Trek Discovery Black Alert. You've been going hog wild with that. So, like you know what? I got a little surprise. Let's get some Doug Merchant music. What? Mm-hmm. All right, adventurers, next up in the episode, I want to talk Dracula versus Van Helsing. This is a 2023 game designed by Maxim Rumborg, Theo Rivieri, and it's published by uh, Mandu Games, but it's 25th century for those of us this side of the lake. So Dracula versus Van Helsing, it's a two-player game. Hello. Hey, my buddy Will Brown. Hungry, what's up? You know, I was just kind of walking through the neighborhood, and I thought, (laughs) I'm feeling like some good old-fashioned turning people into vampires. And I thought, who else do I want to do that with? But Patrick. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Will, you and I had the opportunity to play this one. It's amazing. You cross the street in California, and here you are in southwestern Pennsylvania. Man, I'm glad to have you on the show. This is one that we've been playing together. You taught me. It is one heck of a change in weather patterns as I cross this street. Let me Mm. tell you. Yeah, it's turning cold out here. Is it snowing over there yet? No, no. I I think we had flurries on Halloween or the day after, but nothing since. Wow. We usually don't get it till Christmas, little after. Well, it it was um, sixty four degrees today, and that was pretty cold. Oh, well, how are them taxes treating you? <laughs> well, let's not talk about the taxes. You know what we should talk about is Dracula versus Van Helsing. This is brand new. This was on BGA, and you said, hey. Let's get on. Let's play this. Let's play some async two-player game. One player is going to take the role of Dracula and another is going to take the role of Van Helsing. And in this game, you've got a deck of cards numbered, well, across four suits. And the suits, basically, they're colors. you got your purple, yellow, I think the green and red for the other ones. And they are numbered one through eight. So at the start of the game, you're going to set up this main board. And it's going to depict five regions, each with four villagers, four people, good people, happy, healthy, and particularly not vampire people. Van Helsing's going to be on one side of the table. Dracula's going to be on the other. And as you might expect, Dracula wants to turn these people into vampires. Van Helsing, he wants to kill Dracula. Dracula's got like 12 points of health, and you got to get him down to zero before Dracula finds one of those regions of four people and turns them all into vampires. So well, nom, how nom, are we doing man. that? We've got, Just- we've got cards in front of each of us that the other player can't see representing the five regions and the regions go across the board one two three four five and i've got my five cards right in front of them i know what they are and then you've got your five cards in front of your side of the board you know what they are and we're kind of playing war but there's a trump suit across those four different colors we get to know that tell me what's happening on a turn in the game so on your turn you're gonna draw a card from the deck and there is a rule about when you're allowed to discard an eight because if you discard an eight that's going to trigger the the end of the round but every so you're going to draw a card 
And either you're going to discard the card you just drew, or you're going to use that card and replace one of the other cards that you have in front of those five different regions, and then discard that card. And every card you discard does something. So if you yes. discard a one, which is hot garbage, you're going to have to reveal one of your cards. So now the other player gets to see what you have. It might be a card that just flips over the next card in the draw deck. It might change the trump suit. There's a whole bunch of, it might let you take another turn, a whole bunch of different things that are going to happen when you discard it. So that's how you just kind of gather the information about what you think the other player has. And you're looking at what the relative strength of the different suits are, trying to make sure that you are going to win more regions than the other player. For the most part, though, if you're Dracula, you can almost ignore that a little bit as long as you can kind of keep winning one region. You one just region. Dominate one, yeah. You just have to have mm-hmm. one really delicious region full of yummy, yummy people. And you're so good. what I like about this is if you're discarding the one, right? Nobody wants a one. You're going to lose against your opponent with that one card. So you want to get rid of it. But it's got a drawback. You have to reveal it. On the other hand, a really good card, like say a six, you discard that, you get a benefit. Uh, and I think that the six is the one that's going to change a trump suit. The six or the seven? Uh, the seven. Seven, seven the seven changes a trump suit. You discard a three. Uh, three is a, a fair card. You get to have a peek at one of their things, or you get to switch the location of two cards. Basically, the higher the power of the card that you're getting rid of, thus lessening your chances of winning in that region, the better the ability you get for yourself. Yeah, I might get rid of a one, but now Will gets to know what card I have in, say, the fourth slot. And he's going to be able to rig it up so that he wins that one, or maybe he sees that it's a it's a decent power, or it's a, it's a low-power trump card. Well, maybe he can change the Trump suit prior to and beat me with his yellow three on that spot. There's a now, lot this is of all very hypothetical that because way. I think you won all the games that we played. I think. Yeah, you know what? I don't know. I might have won the first one because I didn't actually teach you. I was like, you'll figure it out halfway through. <laughs> That's true. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 the timings did, didn't work out. But I was like, yeah, you'll figure it out. Yeah. So if you, you're a normal player, that happens. If you're me, you're, you're just going to lose. And you're going to have one moment where you think you're real smart. I thought I was real smart. And you had it. Uh And then I still lost. And Mandu Games has another game called Jekyll vs. Hyde. Another similar, it's a trick-taking style game, but again, it's two-player only. And they're doing interesting stuff with these two-player trick-taking games. Very, very interesting. I'm very, very much enamored by these games, and I'm terrible at them, but they're very clever. I like them a lot. And you know what? I like this one. I'm glad you showed it to me. Dracula versus Van Helsing, uh, relatively new, plays in, I mean, BGA, we're talking 10. I mean, if, if we're playing live, we could probably hammer out a game in five minutes because you don't have to shuffle or anything. On the table, I'm guessing 20, 30 minutes you get through it. Yeah. I mean, I think on BGA, I think we played several games in a day when we were both quote unquote working. You know, <laughs> Dude, that's all I do at work anymore. <laughs> It's a good thing that your bank are not gamers and listening to the podcast. That's right. No, I am confident that no one there is listening to this. <laughs> it is really clever. I, I think I didn't know I needed two player trick taking games in my life, but I really enjoy them. I think what I what I really am digging about it and also the Jekyll vs. Hyde is the trick taking is a tool to get you to what you're trying to do. Like it's not. You don't win by taking the most tricks or not taking the most tricks. It's about strategically mm-hmm. winning tricks. And I think that is really, really clever. I think it's re- this is one of those types of games that I would consider just kind of having in my bag. It's one that's like mouse, cheese, cat, cucumber. I almost always just kind of have it. 
or the game face to face. I usually just kind of have it around because it's small box, it's quick, it's easy, it really gets your brain moving, but it's not going to take up a lot of space. It's it's super clever. I like it. I'm a fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we should point out end of round at the end of each round, the way that you're actually going to be converting the villagers into vampires and whether you're going to be dealing damage to Dracula. So, Will, you and I play around. We show our five cards uh, and they're in front of each of the regions. So the first region, you have a red four and I have a blue two. Your four is higher than my two. You win that region. You get to flip a token into a vampire. The next region, you've got a blue seven. I've got a yellow two. But you know what? Yellow's Trump. So I beat you. I dealt you a damage. Then we move on to the third, the fourth, fifth, and you're basically just playing war in each of those regions with the caveat being that there is a Trump suit. You can get by, in this case, with the yellow being the Trump, you can win a yellow too against something like a big blue, red, purple, et cetera. Uh, that's how you're going to be converting the villagers or dealing damage to Dracula. You play the game until either Dracula is dead, 12 points of damage, or as we said, one of those village has all four of the people in it converted to a vampire. Solid little game from 25th century. I'm glad they that they, they're pushing this one out there, and I'm looking forward to playing some more with you on BGA. Yeah, I can't wait for you to beat me again. Well, you know, we can just put this right up there with Obsession, where I'll have a brief moment where I think I'm doing well, and then you just step on me like the bug that I am. I'm getting lucky. <laughs> In obsession, just get lucky. Oh no, not in obsession, but uh, in in Dracula versus Van Helsing. That that's all luck. Oh crap! I left Scott in the other room. Will I got to go? I'll see you on the back half of the episode. All right, bye. King, I love when Will gives us his time because that dude plays a ton of games. His videos are captivating. He loves the hobby, and I'm so happy to have him as part of Level Up. You know, I like to be warned when the dung merchant comes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you go from being the king to the Lord High, uh, what does he call you? The the chief, uh, Lord High Dung Chief? Something, yeah, Lord, Lord High <laughs> Dung Merchant or something, yeah, I did. Scott, I don't mean to disappoint you even more, but I'm about to. He doesn't smell as bad as Will does. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Let's talk top 100. Not a whole lot to go over today. We do have some falling stars. You're going to be sad to hear that Agricola is down two spots to number 49. Decrypto down two to number 98. No debuts in the top 100. No changes in the top 10. We've got three highest peaks. Frosthaven is up to number 48. Heat, pedal to the metal, up to number 56. And Inish up to number 96. Happy birthday! Well, you know what? I feel like I barely even had to play the music. We've got one today. It's Underwater Cities. It's been on there for four never years. Mm-hmm. Wow. I got to play that. You, you haven't played Underwater Cities? No, I have not. Oh, it, well, you play Terraforming Mars. It's got, it's got some parallels to Terraforming Mars. That's I think you pick it up pretty quickly. That's on my list for next year. I got to get a game of that in. You know what I'm finding is that whenever I keep putting things on the list, like, yeah, I'll, I'll play this at some point. That list, like... Dude, I can play two games in a week, maybe three, right? Realistically, excluding BGA, like getting something to the table where I have the people over that have the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not playing solo. I'm actually playing with a gang, right? On a good week, we can do like three on a Saturday and maybe I have somebody over one evening. So like maybe four games in a week. I right. can't, pa- I'm adding more games to my list that I want to play than I can feasibly hammer out in time. If I can play four a week, <laughs> I'm adding six to my want to play. Oh, geez. That's the hobby, ain't it? Yeah, that it is. It's uh, cruel but true. Let's talk one that we've been wanting to play for a while and one that's quite hot, and that's Sky Team 2 players. We've got to try and land a plane. I'll do the walkthrough, and I'll see you on the flip side. Sounds good. Sounds good.
right, adventurers, let's talk a little Sky Team, a 2023 game designed by Luke Raymond and published by Scorpion Mask or Cosmos, depending on where you live. Sky Team is a cooperative game where two players take on the role of a pilot and co-pilot trying to successfully land a passenger aircraft. Now, the main mechanism at play is dice placement, and the central board depicts all of the spaces where you can allocate them. Each player has four dice and a player screen behind which they're actually going to hide their numbers from their teammate. So the goal of this game is simply to have a level plane with brakes, flaps, and wheels deployed, not moving too fast, and landing when you reach the airport. To do this, each round each player rolls their dice. One must be allocated to the tilt of the plane attempting to level it, and another must be placed on the player's engine spot. Simply put, matching numbers on the tilt space are going to keep the plane level, but if a pilot places a 2 and the co-pilot places a 4, well then the plane's going to be leaning to the right by 2 ticks. One more tick in that direction, you're going to spin out and lose the game, so you better correct that next turn. The dice placed on engines simply dictate if the plane's going to continue to move closer to the airport and how quickly it's going to do so. At one move per turn, you'll reach the airport safely at the seventh round, but sometimes you'll put low numbers and you won't move at all, and other times you might have to place a couple of high numbers to actually move two spaces towards the airport. Now, the pilot and co-pilot each have their own responsibilities during the seven rounds of play. The captain's going to need to place a two, a four, and a six in designated slots and in that order for deploying the wheels. The co-pilot's going to have a similar task for activating the wing flaps. Furthermore, as you continue to progress towards the airport, there are planes in the way. And this is actually kind of easy to understand. See, there's this strip that slides out from the top of the main board of spaces. And on some of those spaces, you might have had to place a wooden plane meeple. A pleeple? Yeah. Now, getting rid of a plane works like this. If it's two spaces away, you place a two onto the available radio space on your board. Or maybe your co-pilot does. And if a plane is four spaces away, then it'll take a four to take care of it and remove that pleeple. Basically, this emulates radioing ahead to tower that you need to clear the runway. Now, sometimes the dice aren't too kind, but the game offers a reroll token at the start of play. Plus, there's three spots at the bottom of the board where you can get a little concentration represented by a fresh cup of coffee meeple. A coffee bowl. You're welcome. You can allocate any die to one of those spaces to brew a cup, which can later be used to add or subtract a die number by one. Okay, so we know how to play. Seems simple enough, but here's the hook. At the start of the round, you're able to talk with your partner about what you need to get done. But once the dice are rolled, no more talking. You've got to do all of your placement without communicating with the other player. You rolled high numbers? Better play them smart. There's a little bit I left out from this walkthrough for the sake of simplicity, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Sky Team has like 20 scenarios in the box that are going to switch up the requirements of safely landing that aircraft, making each challenge a little different than the last. So, King and I have been playing this a bunch, and we've led a ton of passengers to their untimely demise. Did we have a good time doing it? Do we recommend this one for you? Let's find out in the 8-bit breakdown of Sky Team. Flight 209er, you are cleared for takeoff. Roger. Huh? LA departure frequency 123.9er. Roger. Huh? Request vector. Over. What? Flight 209er, clear for vector 324. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance. Over. That's Clarence. Over. Over. Roger. Huh? 
Roger, over. Well, thank you, Patrick, for that walkthrough. And whenever you hear Sky Team, you can't help but think about that classic movie that can never be remade, Airplane. Oh, yes, sir. And that's where our flavor came from. I didn't tell you. Scott, that's what I just played. That's what I used for the adventures. Was, uh, what's your what's your vector, Victor? <laughs> oh, but there are so many great ones. Like, oh, I speak jive. Uh, <laughs> I, we can't play that on the show. One of my favorite ones is the flamboyant air traffic controller that just screams, there's a sale at pennies. That kills me every single time in that movie. <laughs> All right, stop it. You're going to put me in the hospital. What is that? <laughs> it's a building with sick people. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Scott, we're talking Sky Team. Sky Team, two-player game, notably uh, one that we played on BGA. This review is coming from BGA. We're going to do the 8-bit breakdown, starting with the art and components, finishing with was it fun and who's it for. So we've got a bit of a, a dice placement game here. We've got to work together. It's got that little bit of silent treatment going on. You know, we'll get there. Art and components. Floor is yours. Art and components. Well, we did play on BGA, so we didn't have an actual hands-on of the components. But looking at the representation on the screen, I like what it is. It's very, very simple, well laid out as far as where you need to place the dice. You roll the four dice, you put them out, and it tells you exactly where things need to go. I really like how you have the ability to move your balance of the plane and make sure like see where it's going mm -hmm. you can slide down the altitude and how close you are getting to the airport you're going to that's a very cool thing there i like that it's small and compact and, and very easy to play it gives you all you need in just that one little console there if you will unlike planes that have thousands of switches and bells and lights and everything else you're saying we can't really land a plane uh oh i've seen a couple of our games here no we can't <laughs> land a plane patrick but i really like the colors that they have for it it's different i mean it could have been very easy to make it kind of grayish make it look like an actual thing but it's bright vibrant colors and really grabs your attention when you see it on the table what were your thoughts on it yeah the uh, you know what the, it's got a nice clean graphic design the box cover catches your eye and when you see it on the table it, it does catch you a bit so i've seen it on the table i have felt it with the pads of my finger. i have caressed this game scott oh You've got actual like wooden planes, wooden coffee cups. You've got your dual layered player board for the placement of the dice and for the coffee cups for that matter. Uh, like I said, graphic design is fantastic. The symbols, the color coding, it's all intuitive. Like I feel like you can explain to someone one time, like you don't even, you can say before you play because they do want you to uh, in the second phase, like first you have your strategic planning phase, right? That's mm -hmm. phase one of the trend. That's where you're allowed to actually talk some numbers and say what we need to do. But before you even get there, you just crack up the box and you want to teach someone how to play. After you teach, you're probably good to go. They're probably not going to yeah. have many questions. And even if they do, at the end of that first phase, you say, okay, so you understand what we're doing, right? Do you have any questions moving forward? And maybe, maybe they say, oh, wait a minute, can the coffee let you go from a six to a one or a one to six? No. Okay, good, good. No, I'm good to go. Player screens are going to keep your dice. They're going to keep the numbers hidden, but they also have helpful reminders on them. So the components are actually going to help facilitate an easy gameplay. And you know what? There's something about when the dual player board, like when they want you to turn on a switch and you just slide that little inset token to the other side 
that I mm-hmm. feel smart. I feel smart when I do that. Something about that <laughs> is satisfying, and I don't know what it is. Let's get to theme and immersion. And you know what? For a dice game, this thing's got some theme. It does, but I have some problems with it. Do you have beef? Yeah. Do you want to go first, and then I'll okay, finish Okay, fine. Yeah, you, okay. Let's do the compliment sandwich. I'll say all these wonderful things, then you can get all, right. all beefy, and then I'll uh, I'll finish it off with the other piece of bread, which is something nice. How's that? Okay. That okay. sounds wonderful. Co-pilot and pilot, they've got slightly different responsibilities. I like that. Everything that you do makes sense. Drop the wheels and deploy the flaps on the wings. Well, you're going to have to kick the engines a little bit harder to keep moving as fast as you got some wind resistance. Got to activate those brakes and get your speed down because you got to land at just the right time. Every turn, your elevation decreases a little bit and you've got to time that landing. You're actually sliding in the elevation tracker. I like that. You need some extra concentration? Spend a die. Make a cup of coffee. Maybe you're helping yourself. Maybe you're helping your partner. But you know what? That's going to help you. It's going to help you get your wits about you so you can get focused and get this thing landed. All right. Now for the beef in the middle. Just about every plane that I've seen has a pilot and a co-pilot in the same confined area Mm -hmm. that has oxygen in it. So oxygen means that sound can travel. So you can lean over and say to the co-pilot, hey, we need to take care of (laughs) this I need a four. (laughs) Hey, you need to do this. So that just completely took me out of this game. Now, if this was a game where it was between the pilot and an air traffic controller, oh my God, through the roof, that would be freaking awesome. But the idea of being pilot and co-pilot not being able to talk to each other, and that was such a a disappointing thing because whenever I saw this, I was like, boom, I'm in, I got to try this game. I do enjoy the game, and we'll get more into that later on as we go, but the whole idea that you can't talk it just took me completely out of the idea that I was in the cockpit, the pilot and the co-pilot together, landing this one plane. <laughs> cockpit. <laughs> Come on, Other Patrick. piece of bread in our compliment sandwich. Scott, I think the exact opposite. You're okay. wrong, King. You are wrong. Oh, okay, okay. I'm about to usurp the king. I think that that lack of communication is what makes it thematic. I can't, I can't just be like, hey, king, I need you to place a four or higher on the engines. Cause then you know what? First of all, that's going to remove theme even more. Cause you don't land a plane by placing dice on, on the engines. Nope. And it's going to make the game suck because then all you're doing is looking at numbers and placing numbers. There's no like game going on behind. No, I got to use some jargon. I could be like, ah, co-pilot to pilot. Uh, make sure you juice the engines hard. I've got a radio to tower for clearance. Right, and then you get to say something like, "Juice in the engine, make sure you uh, save something for, uh, I-, I need to concentrate a little bit, I'm losing focus here. That's the way that you communicate what your dice are, what your capabilities are, and to me, that's that's so much of what makes the game feel immersive. I can see where you're coming from, but mm-hmm. I disagree. Okay, okay. We will agree to disagree on that. We'll so let's go to bit wrong. number, th- huh? Nothing. <laughs> Let's go to bit number three, complexity. Now, I think you definitely did hit on this. As far as complexity goes, it's not that complex of a game. You roll the dice and you place the dice where you need them to go. You know what needs to be done. You see on there, they even label where things need to go, what dice numbers you need in certain places. So it's not a very complex game. You're not drawing a card to see what happens in turn or anything like that at all. You roll the dice, 
you play out what you got there. That makes the barrier of entry very, very simple. And that I truly do like because it, it is truly such a unique kind of game similar to Captain Sonar, where you have like the teams going against each other, hearing what's going on, but not seeing everything. This one, you have kind of the same kind of mechanic going on, at least in my mind, I think, trying to land the plane together, which I really like. What's your thoughts on the complexity? No, you pretty much you nailed it. Uh, dice placement game, four dice per turn. They have about a dozen spots you can place them. Player screens have the icons and reminders. That, that just makes the complexity so simple. Difficulty, that's going to be a different story. But complexity, I honestly, I Sarah's going to be nine soon. And I feel like if, if she sat down, Dad, you know, what's this? Can you show me how to play? I think she would get it. Even with mm-hmm. the you're not allowed to use numbers and say what the dice are. I think she'd get it. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you just follow what's on the board and it works out well. Well, let's talk rulebook and learning curve. I'll talk the rulebook, which is excellent. Pictures, uh, plenty of pictures, examples. It teaches the game in logical structure. No complaints. And I'll touch on the curve. Uh, this is the one that, uh, that Kurt in South Dakota or North Dakota. Sorry, Kurt, uh, Kurt, if I'm getting that wrong. This is the one that Kurt taught me. So I had the benefit oh, yeah. of a teach prior to actually cracking the rule book and making sure that I understood everything thoroughly before showing it to you and showing it to Will and a few other mm-hmm. people. Um, learning curve, there's, you know, there are 22 scenarios in here, all found in the scenario book. So you play that intro game first, you get familiar with the flow of the game. And once it's like, okay, I, I think I've cracked the code. You know, I, I feel like you and I, we can do that intro scenario, no problems now. Right. But when we start to get comfortable, we can juice it up a little bit. We can throw in a curveball. We can do scenario three, scenario four, and suddenly it's like, oh, it's fresh again. What'd you think? I, I taught you this one, learning curve. Uh, learning curve, I think, was great. The only thing, I mean, there are some things that I get a little confused on as far as with the altitude and how close you are to the airport that... I get mixed up as far as when one moves down closer to the other one, but that's all on me. It's not on the learning curve or anything like that at all. Learning curve is very simple. I think you did a great job of pointing out what you need to do, what we need to do. Sure, we broke the rule and we talked when we weren't supposed to. Uh, God forbid you lean over and talk (laughs) to your co-pilot from the pilot that's in the same little tube with you. Oh, here he goes. Uh, But anyway... Yeah, learning curve, once you get this going and you talk it through somebody, you roll the dice a couple times, go through a couple turns, yeah, you should have this down, no problem. Well, you know what we did for our teach was I said, okay, we're not supposed to use numbers. We're not supposed to say numbers, but Mm -hmm. turn one, we're going to say numbers. Right. So look, Scott, I'm going to place this three on the tilt. Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you're going to have a three or a four. So if you have a three, we'll stay level. If you have a four, so what? We'll tilt a little bit. If you rolled all twos, we'll tilt a little bit. No big deal. And you know, you can actually teach teach the game in that first round and yes, just use yes. the numbers. And then from there, like, oh, now you remember last round we were talking and, and telling each other what we were doing? We can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Now we've got to just use like jargon to do it. I like that. Where is the meat in Sky Team? Bit number five. The meat, I think, comes from the idea whenever you can't talk. Whenever you start thinking of the the statistics of what die number is going to be coming up for people. Whenever you're thinking, if I put this here, 
there's a pretty good chance that he rolled this number as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to play that out there. So you're really playing against the uh, probability of what your partner rolled. There's nothing worse than whenever you need to get a certain speed and your partner puts down a one and you're like, oh God, we need to get a nine. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to crash in that feeling of absolute hopelessness of, yeah, we're we're gonna die horribly here. <laughs> yeah, what can we do? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I I gotta go back to the theme and immersion. I think whenever that happens, you do get that feeling of I've just sentenced every person on this plane to their death. Oh, suddenly we're back. Now we're getting immersed in it. I see how it is. Well, yeah, whenever I do something wrong, not the whole idea <laughs> of leaning over going, Oh, Captain, by the way, we need to level out here. I digress. Uh, but yeah, the meat of the game, I think, is really the probability, pr- using the probabilities as far as what the dice are rolled and what you should play to complement what your partner is going to play. Scott, at face value, this is a really simple game. You mm-hmm. place dice appropriately to accomplish all of the parameters of your objective and with perfect information. Like if we could talk in a way that would convey perfect information, if we could see each other's dice, this wouldn't be much of a game. It it. It wouldn't be a game, quite frankly. Instead, you have to communicate in a way that makes suggestions of what you have. And every action is communicating something. So the teamwork, the teamwork is real. Leading off with a six on coffee. That's telling the other person, okay, I got some high numbers here, so I'm just throwing this one away on the coffee because if you don't need it, I'm going to change some. Then if you play another six somewhere else, odds are it's it's solid. You've got high numbers. Even just in leading off on the coffee, you're kind of telepathically telling your partner that you need to wait and see what they do yes. for the tilt or the engines because your numbers are kind of high and low. You don't have those mid-range. Uh, make no mistake, you have to play a die in the engine and you have to play a die in the tilt. So you've only got a couple of other plays per turn and you've got to communicate a lot in those two plays. Uh, I think that communication or lack thereof, mm-hmm. that's the meat of the game, isn't it? Yeah, almost oh, definitely. Absolutely. Let me take replayability and variability. I said it already, 22 scenarios, damn it. You can up the difficulty. You have traffic dice, extra modules in the box. They make sure that this is a game that you can continue to come back to. You crack the code, well, then it's on to the next code. This is a game that you're going to want to play with someone like the same person, I think, as much Mm -hmm. as possible. And you're going to start to get that sort of the mind communication with each other like, oh, we've been here together before, right? (laughs) I think in a weird way, you almost start to create your own language. Like you get this intuition of what they might have based on what they've done before. And that's awesome. Uh, Assume you do each scenario a couple of times and there's 22 scenarios. You'd be playing this more than, I mean, that's like a Gloomhaven campaign worth of plays. Mm -hmm. Eh, That's replayability. What do you think, Scott? Replayability and variability. Well, I think one thing with the replayability is that you have the captain in the co-pilots. So you can play through all 22 of those as the pilot. Well, let's try what the co-pilot does. Switch and that's just that little bit of difference because you are both doing, are, are in charge of two separate parts of the plane as far as the wings, putting out the flaps, taking care of the brakes. I mean, you've got all these different little things that you need to take care of. One side needs to take care of and the other side doesn't. And it really does change it up whenever you play the opposite side there. Having 22 different expansions or different scenarios 
that's huge because I know we've played a couple of the different ones and even just that little bit of a change, there's big things in there as far as uh, I'm trying to remember what's the well, like the one of them. Whenever you moved twice, that second tile instead of like the first scenario, every time, as long as your tilt is fine. Well, your tilt doesn't matter That's until the very end. Yes. Yes. And then we did that scenario. It's like, you know what? On tiles three and four in your movement, you've got to be left leaning. And then on tile five, you've got to be right leaning. So it's kind of like you're navigating some turbulence mm-hmm. on your way to uh, to land. Or you're making a big turnaround, come in and line up for the runway there. Yes. Yes. That's mm-hmm. cool. But yeah, I think the uh, replayability is definitely there. The variability really shines in the 22 different uh, scenarios and being able to play as the pilot or the co-pilot. So there's 44 different things that you can play with this game before it gets to the point of, well, we got to play this over again. Mm-hmm, Downsides, bit number seven. All right. Downsides. See bit number two. You can't get into the theme. You don't get immersed in it at all. You don't like the lack of communication. I get into the theme as soon as I know we're going to lose. That's mm-hmm. whenever I get into it. Other than that, I just have that problem of not being able to communicate. Now, granted, I look at it, if you're getting in real life, both the pilot and co-pilot are doing things so quickly all at the same time. And you have to depend on what your co-pilot is doing, your pilot is doing, mm-hmm. and you see the, how they complement each other. This is a game. You should be able to interact a little bit with each other. It's just weird how you can discuss about the things there, what you need to do the next turn. Then once you roll the dice, oh, you can't say anything now. Well, why not? It doesn't make sense where it's like, oh, there is a duck that just flew in one of the flaps here. I can't take care of that this turn. I need to do <laughs> something else duck. instead. It's that damn duck game that you talked about earlier. Love it. Um, my sombrero and my machete. <laughs> slice your propellers. But yeah, that's the whole thing with mine as far as the downsides. Other than that, it is a fun game. It's a tense game whenever you're playing it. Just playing on a BGA and just, nope, I'm going to put that there. Okay, what else am I doing now, waiting for the turn to finish up? You just don't have that. So I think it may shine more in person than on BGA. Fair enough. Fair enough. You, what do you think about downsides? Okay, so sometimes you can just lose, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, it's rare, but I think it can happen. So, Scott, we need to move one space closer to the airport, and there's a plane in spot one. You've got to move the end. Uh, well, you, we we have to move the engines, and we've got to play a one on the tower to clear the plane. Okay, All you right. got it? Yep. All right, let, let's roll our dice. Okay. Um, I'm going to have some trouble radioing in the tower. Uh, I'm, I'm able to make some coffee, and I can kick the engines uh, pretty hard, but uh, that, that plane's going to be a problem for me. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying there, uh, Captain, but uh, but yeah, I'm probably going to have to get some coffee here to uh, kind of make me feel a little bit pepper in my uh, seat here next to you that I can't talk to you from. It seems like we may be <clears throat> a little slow today. I'm just feeling a little sluggish. You know what? I, I can pick up what you're putting down there, co-pilot. Let's, uh, okay, reroll token, <laughs> flip it off the board. <laughs> Let's roll our dice again. Uh oh. <laughs> so we didn't get a one and we didn't get a two on that try uh, either. So sometimes you can just be stuck. Now, I don't think that that's how it's going to play out very often. I think more often than not, if you lose, it's going to be the result of a communication breakdown or, yes. or some poor choices. But that is a possibility. You can just roll into a corner 
on a pivotal turn. To me, that strikes me as a downside, but it can also be one of the reasons that you come back. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, this is one that I know we've said time and time again with different games. You're just like, all right, let's let's try Do this it again. again. Do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. re-rack it. it doesn't We're going take that again. much to reset the game up. Quick to reset, quick to play. I mean, yeah, it's it's great. Well, that kind of spoils our bit number eight for you. So was it fun and who's it for? Why don't you take the floor? You're calling it great in spite of having some dissonance with the connecting to the immersion in this one. Yes, it was fun. It's an interesting take on a game. It's something that I never really thought I wanted in a game, but it's still kind of like, huh, I actually kind of like this. This is fun. It's a unique experience whenever you're playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, who's it for? This is definitely for friends that get together and play a lot. If you have a big group and you just have like a couple friends that, like I know a lot of times Tom and I are at the shop early or you and Tom are at the shop early. This is a great game to pull out and play between you two until other people show up. Perfect this today, would yeah. be a great game for you and your significant other to play at home, you can play this instead of, oh, there's nothing on TV. Let's play uh, Sky Team. So I think that's really the main thing that you're looking for. Something that will make a nice experience for you and your friend or significant other to mm-hmm. really enjoy yourselves. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. I like this one. Uh, it's a fantastic two-player game. There's, You know what catches me with Sky Team? One of the things that, that really captures me and, and keeps me coming back to it is that there is a real tension building up each round. Oh, yeah, yeah. You start finding yourself holding breaths at certain points, placing that die and going, <gasps> it's interesting because your big payoff moments come in just maintaining the status quo, not failing, right? Mm. So surviving to the next round is kind of the payoff further each time you place in the engine or the access slot those are pivotal those those are like clutch points you're going to lean in right you're going to see what your partner does because that's yeah. really important now, the game plays quick set up and tear down is quick when finishing a game you get that urge to go go again that's a very good quality for a game to have i, I think moving forward as we said we're going to talk value it's either going to be in downsides of a game or it's going to be a, a, a found here in bit number eight where it's a good thing and here i think maybe it is uh this thing costs like 30 bucks and we already said there's a ton of plays in that box. Yes, yes. That's a lot of entertainment for that price. Heck, you spend just one evening playing it with a pal for a few hours. You got your money's worth. I like that. Now, who's it for? It's a two-player co-op game. So that alone should give you an idea of whether or not this is for you. I would say it's all the better if it's a game that you're going to play with the same person repeatedly to learn each other's uh, tendencies and experience those successes and those failures together. If that sounds like you and one of your gaming partners, then I think you're really, really going to like Sky Team. Adventurers, it's time for our look back in a time warp and go back and see what we played one year ago and... As I didn't play either of uh, these games, Patrick, it's all on you. Oh, thank you. You know, this was the tail end of the Renaissance Festival last year. Yes, uh, we did yes. Living Forest. I did that one with Ryan. And I did the Stuff of Legend with Josh. Uh, Living Forest just won the spiel. I, you know, and I'm not going to dwell on these, Scott. Um, I like them both. Neither of them are like, wow, this game's amazing, right? Living Forest struck me as... 
an appropriate spiel winner. Let's put it that way. Okay. Non-offensive. Uh, the art was <laughs> kind of cartoon. And, and, and I mean, like, no part of it is going to be like, oh, like, there's no huge payoff. It's right. just a good, delightful, compact game plays in under an hour. Sure, Stuff sure, of sure, Legend sure. is like the complete opposite it's semi on rails it's a hidden trader game where you're trying to save yeah, like the little boy you're you're as toys yeah. right this is the one where you play as the toys of this little boy and the little boy's been carried off into the closet by the boogeyman right okay that's terrifying let me just pause right there <laughs> and the teddy bear and quackers the little wooden wheelie duck like you all yep. decide you're gonna help save the boy so into the closet you go and you're traversing like army soldiers and like other toys that are bad guy toys and you got to get through them you got to find where the boogeyman is and save the boy it's fun it is a game where the actual playing of the game is kind of simple kind of going through the motions kind of trying to suss out who might be that hidden Mm -hmm. that hidden traitor but you know what those games do well is they lead up to one big payoff moment that big crescendo where it all you know all, all the all the roads converge to this one point and that's what the stuff of legend does it builds you up to that one point so uh very different from living forest also very fun just different style that's all the more i'm going to dwell on them okay. i would recommend them both to the right group neither game am i going to one year later say nah forget about this one both good games sounds good sounds good I don't mean to alarm you, but uh, there's a uh, person that is, resembles the Dung Merchant here. Oh, yeah. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> good to see you, Dung Merchant. Pip, pip, wat, wat. Well, guys, it wouldn't be a two-player episode if we didn't have a chance to play a little two-player game of our own, one that the adventurers could play along with us. So I put together the name game. Hold on. I, I actually, I took some time and I found some music for this. So music game. Oh. <laughs> Patrick, have you been going through your LP collection and getting out ABBA? You know what? You never know what you're going to find. I'm telling you what. You type in 8-bit and just about any song, it's out there. It can be found. Okay, okay. Guys, I we're going to play the know, name I'll game. Before you should, you should really look at Bardcore. You familiar Bard with Bardcore? Core. No. So they basically take Renaissance instruments and cover like hip-hop. It's amazing. Mm. In fact, right now, you should drop in... Like Slim Shady by Bardcore. It'll break your brain right now. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back. Wow. Did not know that I needed that in my life. Thank you, Brown. You're going to go down such a deep rabbit hole. Just so so you're aware, you're going to go down. I have an idea for my return to the Renaissance Festival now. Oh, good Lord. Oh, gentlemen, we're going to play the name game. We're going to play the name game. This is one that we've done before. Now we actually officially have some music adventures you can play along with us. So I've got 15 games and I'm going to say what the name of the game is. However, I'm going to translate it using something different. So I'm going to give you the name of the game kind of, and I want you to tell me what game I'm talking about. We've got 15 on the board. Will, can you keep score? Will, can you keep score? reach for some stuff. I can keep score. (laughs) You can teach score. You're going to tell us how to. I can keep score here. (laughs) I got it. It is way too late for recording, guys. The name game. Are we ready? Got it. Okay. Let's get the let's get our game show music going. Number one. Kind of icy shelter. 
kind of icy shelter. Cool something. Ice school. It's not kind a shelter. Of icy shelter. This is a terrible start. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, we kind might come back to icy it. Shelter. We might come back to it. There's adventures going. <laughs> Guys, number two, napping immortals. Sleeping gods. Oh. <laughs> Will on the board. We're at one nothing. And we go to question three. Warmth. Level. <clears throat> Warmth. Lever to the steel. Ooh, me. Will Brown. Heat. Pedal to the metal. Bingo. Tough one here for number four, boys. We got strength graph. Strength graph. Oh, 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 oh. Power grid. King Scott takes it on Power Grid, moving to number five. Robots versus cronies. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Will, what's robots versus cronies? Mechs versus minions. He's right on. Let's move on to number six. Evening time complication. Evening time complication. Sounds like you should see a doctor for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's true. Yes. Evening time complication hmm oh people are yelling at their i got yelling at their podcast right now then let's move it right on to number seven bolshevik train tracks oh whoa, 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 whoa. Ah, i saw scott king on that one russian railroads very good angry scott got it number eight a fixed luminous point in the night sky that you can't have uh uh forbidden stars well done. That's well, I just got it. Got it. Stars. <laughs> Moving on. We've got map makers. Oh, 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 oh. Bing, bing, bing. Oh, my goodness. Let's hear it, King. Cartographers. Wow. That's impressive. I'm impressed, guys. I am impressed. Let's you move right We are, like, really bad at this. It's this one's three for Will, four for me. Yeah. Okay. It's going to get difficult now. Liquid barrier. Liquid barrier. Mm, well, you know, I kept audio of you going, come on. Good, and I just you. want to play it right now on both you guys. Come on, liquid barrier. What if I told you that the name of the game is one word, but it's a compound word? Liquid barrier. I like that he keeps saying the, the, the same clue, like that's going to work. It's like, what if I said liquid barrier? Wait, okay. Liquid barrier. What if I said a barrier that is liquid? Okay, moving right along. I okay. think I've given you guys this clue before. So this one's going to be a speed test. Constantinople. King Scott. Istanbul. Very good. Very okay. good. Battle crate. Battle crate. Oh. Oh, Will's jumping on it. Mm, that's war chest. That is War Chest. All right, follow along with me, guys. Number 13, metal money plus an undergarment for boobs. But there's an M in there. Metal money plus an undergarment for boobs. But there's an M in there. Ooh, King's going to take a stab at it. Money bras. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, there is no board game called. But I'd Money like Bros. to see that. That Will sounds like a towel. Underwire coin M's. That <laughs> <laughs> no, just keeps sounding it out. Just keeps sounding it out because you're you're close. 
Oh metal? yeah, un- underwire coin M's. Yes, that's okay. very close. Metal money. Coin. Plus an undergarment for boobs. Bra. Oh, 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 oh. King, king. Oh, oh Will got, got it, Will got, got it. it. There you go. Oh, there's an M. I don't it's... like this game. <laughs> well, who's winning? What's our score? We've got two to go. Ooh, okay, two to go. And then we've got three that we're going to go back to just in case someone can get it. Okay. Number 14, the travels of the theory of evolution guy. Will got it. Darwin's journey. Darwin's journey it is. Well done, Will. Last one, and I want you to put on your thinking caps. Use them noodles, boys. Display pistol or display firearm. Will? Is it Shogun? It's Shogun. Oh, wow. I'm amazed. Okay, where's our score? Where are we well, sitting you know, now? It, it helped because, you know, I saw those biceps years and I was like, wow, Patrick's really yeah, showing. Look at them tasty guns. Showing the them guy, guns. The guy the water from Stone Sword said I got tasty guns. Yeah, how about that? So yeah. we're, we're at 7-5, right? Will's yes. got the lead. Mm, okay, so let's go back to the, uh, what do we have? Two that we couldn't, three, three that we couldn't three. get. So King, you have a chance to win. Okay, okay. okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the clue again, and then I'm going to wait a little bit, and I'm going to give you... uh, I'm just going to throw out something that might give it away. And if you still don't have it, I'll throw something else out that might give it away, okay? Okay. And then he's just going to text us both the answer, and whichever one us can read it. (laughs) Whoever can read it quicker, that's funny. All right. Kind of icy shelter. So it's not fully frozen. Is is, Is there a game called Cold House? Mm, kind of cold manor cold mansion cold hut what if cold tent Mm -hmm. what if i said this is a very popular game it is a sequel frosthaven wills on it and takes the win we're gonna do the last two for the adventurers out there scott i feel like i want to give it to you for that clue (laughs) No, 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 no. You Ugh. you worked that one out there. You got it. You got it there. So. Well, you know, Guys, I said enough words, and eventually you're going to run onto the right ones. <laughs> I feel like as long as we're all having fun, we all win. I think Scott and I are both dumber for playing that one. Like, that's... <laughs> God, my brain does not work. Let's that see if we can uh, get these last two ones under wraps. Evening time complications. It sounds like what happens to us as we're getting older. Mm-hmm. Um... Evening time complication. Night, night, mis- night problems? Like, a t- <laughs> What if I said Cold War? Twilight Struggle. That's it. Twilight Struggle. And the last one, Liquid Barrier. Water shield. What if, I, what if I told you that the liquid was water? Water shield. Watergate. Watergate. That's it, oh, of course. Watergate. Wow. Well, well done. I, you know what? Coimbra. I'm proud of that. I'm real proud of that one. I think everybody, adventurers, if that hurt you as much as it hurt Scott and I, <laughs> Coimbra, I want you to go on their guild. Just, just, uh, just let Patrick know that Coimbra really hurt. <laughs> Hey, well, thanks for joining us for the back half of the episode and for earlier for Dracula versus Van Helsing. Good stuff. We appreciate you being on level up. What you got going on on the YouTube channel? So for the second year, we have the Beatrice, the board game dog game of the year tournament. And this year, yes, there are 38 games in the tournament. You can fill out the bracket. I think it might still be open when this is airing. I don't know. We'll find out. But you fill out your bracket. 
Whoever picks the winning game is eligible for three great prizes. We have an all-in 20 strong from Chip Theory oh. Games. We have oh. a super deluxe pledge of Fractured Sky from Ivy Games. And that means not Ooh, only are the miniatures magnetic, sky. not only are they magnetic, they're painted. They come and a all-in furnace, which is the expansion, the core game, and the playmat. All of those also come with the 90 days of sovereignty, super deluxe play. And so here's how this works. I've randomly made a bracket of all the games that Beatrice the Board Game Dog received this year. Mm -hmm. We're going to put two of them down. We put a blueberry in front of each one. We call her in. And whichever Mm -hmm. blueberry she eats first, that is clearly the best game. Okay. Because that is how science Very scientific. Yes. yes. And Mm -hmm. and she cares about the feelings of the other game because she also will eat that blueberry too. No, not to leave that one stranded. Yeah, of course. You don't want anybody to be sad. And so whoever picks the winner, they get first choice. Yeah, and I, there's there's points, you know, like a bracket. But sure, 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 if, sure. And if nobody picks the winning game, that's what happened last year. Last year, Beatrice just blew everybody's bracket, <laughs> ruined them all. <laughs> then we go to the points. And Arcane Wonders, Chip Theory Games, and Ivy Games are very, very generous to put up these prizes. And I think they'll go anywhere in the world. I don't know. We'll see. But if you win and you're in some weird place, we'll send you something. All right, Will. Scott, to your house in a unitard. (laughs) Don't do that. Oh, man. With bells on his ankles and some real nice sunglasses. And you think that's going to scare me? Hey, I'll do that. I don't care. No, it's a prize. That's what I'm saying. Oh, oh, I'm the prize? Oh, God, no. No, you need to do that if somebody completely blows their bracket. (laughs) Someone gets gets all all wrong. Scott's coming to get you. (laughs) Will, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, I think that might be it for uh, surprises from Dung Merchant today. I don't think I can handle any more. <laughs> I swear to God, if we start talking about Pax and he shows up again. No, no, it won't happen. In okay. fact, I'm sure of it because we pre-recorded with Will. <laughs> and we know we don't have anything from Pax. <laughs> Scott, it's time. We're on the way. We're on the train on the way to Pax right now. We're going to be in Philadelphia here in like four hours, and we're going to start playing some games. We're going to start doing some events. So we tasked ourselves with coming up with a few games that we're excited for and some other thing that we're looking forward to while we're in Philadelphia. How about we go back and forth with games, and I'm going to lead it off with Evacuation. Have you seen this one? That I have? No, I did see uh, something about it, but I didn't really look into it. All right, evacuation, it's a game where you're, okay, so you're evacuating a planet that is dying and you're going to a new planet. So I I guess it's meant to be Earth that you're leaving. And you start the game with a full functioning economy, presumably that on Earth, in which you're going to be dismantling it as the game progresses. So the idea is you have this economy that's producing things. You've got to get them to the new planet. But as you do, you're going to be basically tearing apart the economy, losing your efficiency on the old planet while you're trying to establish on the new. Now, a similar game, uh, Space Station Phoenix, tried to do the same thing where you're dismantling spaceships uh, as you play and the spaceships are your work placement spots. I love that in Space Station Phoenix. The only problem with that game was that it dragged on for far too long. I want to see what Vladimir Sushi does with this one. Uh, He's done some hits like uh, Underwater Cities, as we mentioned in the uh, four years in the top 100s, Praga Kaput Regni. So I'm all in for getting this one played at uh, at, at Philadelphia. Plus, components look fantastic. This game is an eye catcher on the table. 
cool. Yeah, I do remember seeing the box cover of it, and it does look really very, very cool there. So I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, that's evacuation. What you got? Give me a game you're looking forward to. Well, my first one that I'm really interested in checking out at PAX is Apiary. I mean, let's just start with the first thing here. Space bees. Yep. Huh? Huh? Oh, Does yeah. that not set just shout out fun? But no, I love the idea that you have the chance of playing 20 unique different factions. You start the game with a hive, a few resources, and worker bees. And then like your game where you're tearing things apart, you're trying to build your empire as you're going and get the biggest one at the very end of it. So many times in Stonemire games, you get games that just build on themselves and make a whole experience out of everything you're playing. Scythe, Tapestry, really do a great job of building an epic story. And the idea that you have 20 unique factions to play of Space Bees, my mind just boggles at the idea of what's going to be there. I'm really looking forward to this. The look of it, the production of it, Everything has got me very excited. Yeah, it's all the hotness right now. And you know what? I haven't played it either. I didn't pre-order it. And uh, I, I want to give this one a play too. All right, Patrick, you're on deck. What's the next game you want to see at PAX? I want to see From the Moon. In mm. From the Moon, players are representatives of factions trying to complete space missions. But we've got a lot of space going on. We're three yeah. for three on space. Uh, departing from our moon in order to help humankind survive elsewhere in the galaxy. Indeed, the fate of the Earth is sealed and time is running out. The plan is to launch three survival missions before all life on Earth ends. Scott, I'm just now realizing that I picked two games with a remarkably similar theme. <laughs> to do that, each faction will contribute by building parts of ships and build their own lunar base to store the necessary resources. In the end, it's a game about seeing who's going to be the faction that's most suited to lead our, our, our race in space. So you got a worker placement game, engine building, which I typically find satisfying. So knowing very little about it, I'm going to give it a shot if the opportunity presents itself. Also, uh, Johannes Guppy is credited with the design, and he did Rauha, which we reviewed over summer. Oh, and yes. I remember enjoying that one quite a bit, so I want to see. I, this would only be the second game that I've tried of his, so I'm very curious. And, you know, maybe this this screams two games enter, one game leave with the, uh, <laughs> the, the themes we have going on. What's your next one, Scott? Well, my next one that's coming out, and I believe that they had a sample of this at Origins. I, I want to say I remember seeing something about it. From Czech Games Edition is Kultnya Hora, the City of Silver. I remember they had the box there. They didn't yes, have it set up yes. or anything. They had a couple bits, and they had the box, and no one could pronounce it. But looking at this, it, the asymmetrical nature of each player's available guilds makes for interactive rounds in which each decision impacts your economy. Now, you'll mine an ore, you're smelting it into a fortune of silver to expand your city, but then you have your goals that you're taking care of. Everyone has asymmetric abilities, and I love the whole idea is you're building the St. Barbara's Cathedral, and the idea of building this up here, there's something about Euro games and building things up, it just grabs me. Those are the kind of games that really get me into playing and sitting there and doing the math of my head and figuring out what I need for this and need for this and playing this. I really love those games and so excited to get a chance to play Kutnihora. And I know I'm 
mangling that. <laughs> you know what? I'm even, guessing that's how you say it. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good. I'm not even going to begin to try and pronounce the designers because there are so many accents and little curvy things over their le- names, and I will destroy. They got them. letters we don't even have. I I know. I think that's the 27th letter I see in the one name. I think that was an Essen release, so uh, difficult to get over here in the States so far, but I do believe they're going to have it at PAX, so you know what, if we're hanging out Saturday afternoon, let's let's get in and play together. Most definitely. Kutnyahara. Final one. What's your third game you're looking forward to, Patrick? Cyber Pet Quest. Let oh, that sink yes. in for a minute. Cyber Pet Quest. Embark on an extraordinary quest with Jane, a lifelike, fully bionic cat and her cybernetically enhanced pet dog slash raccoon slash goose friends. Join this eclectic team as they set out to find Jane's missing owner, Howard, in the intra-apocalyptic city of San Lazaro. You remember where we heard that before? Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. believe that had something to do with protocol. Call? Yes, yes! With its diverse and immersive locations and an eccentric cast of enemies, this metropolis will keep you on the edge of your seat. As you delve deeper into the city, you'll need to unleash your tactical prowess and harness the impressive array of unique abilities and powerful items the pets possess to survive your quest. Scott, this comes from Dead Alive Games and, of course, the uh, the intra-apocalyptic... I can't say intra-apocalyptic, <laughs> apparently, City of San Lazaro. That comes from Omicron Pro Protocol, which Dead Alive did. They have done two games, and I like them both. Lunar Rush and Omicron yes. Protocol. This is a campaign, which inevitably means I ain't going to finish it. But because it's Dead Alive, I'm excited. I already talked to Bernie, and Cyber Pet Quest is scheduled. I'm ready for it, and I want to see what they got going on. Definitely looking forward to that one. Anything to add on to that whole world that they're building, excited to see where it goes. You got one more, Scott. Give me a, give me your third and final, I'm jonesing to play this game. This is another one I'm jonesing for, and this just gives me kind of feelings of Carnegie. But this is Nucleum. Oh, now, yeah. this one has a 4.05 rating, complexity rating on BGG right now, mm-hmm. which is insane, but it excites me. You got to love the first sentence they have here. When Elsa von Frulingfeld presented her invention to King Frederick Augustus II of Saxony. <laughs> you got to love that. I mean, I just get you into the whole thing. How can we not be enthralled with the theme? Elsa von Frulingfeld? I love it. <laughs> but no, it's all about uranium and getting the uranium imported from nearby countries. The board looks so colorful, so vivid. Everything about it just jumps off, and it's another one that I'm looking to get into and just sit there and stare at it mm-hmm. and have people mm-hmm. look at me and think, he hates this game. But I'm really <laughs> sitting there so deep in thought and loving every moment. I'm so looking forward to Nucleum. You know, this one caught my eye whenever it was uh, leading up to Essen, and I was like, you know what, maybe I'll try and get my hands on that. And then Jimmy messaged me. He's like, dude, I think you are going to love that game. He, he was watching some reviews and whatnot. He's like, this is right up your alley. So I was tr- trying to track down a copy and they're just too expensive for now. So I'll wait until it's widespread release in the US. What catches me is this has Simone Luciani's name on it and he did Barrage, Sulking, yep. Grand Austria Hotel, Lorenzo Magnifico. The pedigree is absurd. Oh, yes, yes. You know this game's going to be good. Yeah, and I, yeah, so looking forward to this. 
and so many more. But we have time for three apiece. Scott, there's got to be an event, something that you're looking forward to. We always say, oh, I can't wait to work with Game Toppers and all play. But I said, no, we got to switch it up. Tell me something that uh, you're looking forward to outside of the I want to play this game spectrum. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many things going on as far as getting back into Philadelphia again, going to the market, eating the food, seeing people that you haven't seen in our case since Origins. Sure. Yeah. It just really makes it for a great event. But we have a meeting on Saturday with WizKids to check out all the different games that they have coming out, which I'm excited to see what they have here. But, mm-hmm. but. You found a way to get a game into it. I see what you did here. <laughs> but they're showing off Star Trek Into the Unknown. And this is basically the Star Trek version of Star Wars Armada. And you know how much I love that game. Having a Star Trek version of Armada is even cooler. I mean, just the idea of getting the Federation ships against the Romulan Birds of Prey. Oh, my God. I I, I got goosebumps right now just thinking about it. I'm so excited (laughs) about it. (laughs) If the bell rang right now, you'd be like, I do not want to stand up. Oh, we won't say anything there. So what? what's your one that you're looking forward to? Uh, we got a PAX Media Party with KTBG, Kids Table Board Games, I think it is. They're the ones that did Creature Comforts and Burnt oh, yes. Island Games. This one was uh, – so we're these, these special media types, which <laughs> basically means nothing. It means that you get uh, – some people message you leading up to PAX saying, hey, do you want to check out our game? You know, we, we'd love to chat with you guys for 15 minutes. It's Believe Me Adventures. You're not missing anything special with me. Uh, you know what? That first time we went to PAX, I was like – What's that media area up there? And I was all like curious. And then last year we went up there and I was like, it's a bunch of empty rooms with no one in it and nothing to do. <laughs> well, this is dumb. Anyway, we did get invited to an event that uh, that they're throwing for people in the media. Uh, I don't think it's going to be anything huge. Typically when we've done these sorts of things in the past, it's just – it's like a live commercial. Mm-hmm. Here's some things that we have coming out. But we did go to one where they gave us food and a ticket for a drink. A, yes. An alcoholic drink. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know what? If I start off packs with a free beer, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good convention. Once again, just seeing people that we haven't seen for a while, getting some laughs in, joking around, and just enjoying each other's company. That's the big thing there. Well, adventurers, if you are on your way to PAX again, do stop and say hi. That's uh, six games from Scott and I that we're looking forward to. I'm sure there's a dozen more that you got on your list that you're jonesing to play. We hope you have a great time in Philadelphia at PAX. We'll do some wrap-up at some point after that. But for now, we got to play that sound effect. Well, Scott, that was almost two hours of us talking, so this train ride's got to be getting real. Hey, future (laughs) Patrick, sitting on the train, listening to the episode, hoping that you didn't make any errors. You're almost in Philadelphia. You getting excited, buddy? This is past Patrick. He's excited for you. Have fun, big guy. Scott, it's the end of the episode. And as we do every time, we're going to talk how we leveled up since we last spoke. What you got? Well, since we last spoke, I had fixed a water line in our basement, and I was really excited. It was really super. But as things usually happen with us in our house, whenever a water line broke, that meant that we had a dishwasher go kaput on us. 
And we ordered one. We got a great price on it. It was delivered, ready to be installed. And they came in. They looked at it. And, oh, yeah, we can't install it. We, we can't touch this. We can't do that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so I'm freaking out, figuring out how the hell am I going to take care of this thing. But I figured it out, and I installed a dishwasher. For me, that's a big thing there. For everyone else, it's probably like, oh, yeah, we'll just pull this out, put that one in. For me, it's a big thing. So that's how I leveled up. How did you level up, Patrick? Well, King, we got something exciting. We got a random reach out. Uh, with <laughs> that sounds dirty, but it wasn't. <laughs> Guy reaches out to us. He does the Funk Hay Town convention in Knoxville at the end of April. And he said, hey, guys are a little bit out of our range. I know it's a bit of a haul for you, but if you're in the mood, we'd love to have you as a featured guest for this convention in Knoxville. And I was like, mm, so that's what we're doing. Talked it over with you. And it sounds like, uh, what is it? April, I think 24th through the 6th or 26th through the 8th, whatever that Friday, Saturday, Sunday is at the end of April, we're in. We're in. We're going to go to Knoxville. We're going to be part of Funk A-Town Convention. The very special thing about that is I believe that the statute of limitations from the last time I was in Knoxville has lifted. We're going to leave it at that. All I know is I last time I was there, it was the World's Fair. Look it up. Google it. You'll see exactly how long ago that was. <laughs> Adventures No episode wrap up this time. Just not a lot to uh, to share here at the end. This was the last episode of season three. Clap track. <laughs> Scott, next episode, we're going to kick off season four, and we have a doozy of a oh, review, that one that I'm too. proud to have done. But let's finish season three the way we finish every episode. The last word is yours. Well, hey, we're taking the train to PAX, and it's coming to the end of the year. Enjoy those moments with your friends. Have fun. Make more memories. Ask questions of your friends. Have a good conversation. Have a few laughs over a game. Just enjoy your time with your friends and family as much as you can. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, Always do what you can to level up.